and welcome to the Monash Perioperative Medicine podcast series. Today, here in Melbourne, I'm joined by Drs. Ron Glick and Alan Pierce. Ron, hello. Hi, Alan. thank you. Uh, and I'm Jonathan Nicholson, and we're going to be discussing the PREVENT trial, which was published in The Lancet in September 2020. This was a randomized controlled trial conducted to see if giving preoperative intravenous iron to anemic patients having open abdominal surgery would have an impact on perioperative transfusion or death. Uh, so the principal investigator and lead author for this trial was uh, Professor Toby Richards. Toby is currently the uh, Lawrence Brown Professor of Vascular Surgery at the University of Western Australia, having previously been at the University College London for 10 years. Uh, he's led a series of clinical trials investigating anemia before major surgery and the impact of intravenous iron, as well as being part of an expert group that published an international consensus statement on perioperative management of anemia and iron deficiency. And we're delighted that Professor Richards today is able to join us from Perth to discuss the results of the PREVENT trial and how this study will perhaps change clinical practice. So welcome, Toby. Welcome, thanks very much. Um, so Professor Richards, I, I might just open by asking you to um, please give us a brief overview of the, the trial, why you undertook it, um, and, a, and a summary of the findings we looked at what is the problem of anemia in surgery. So to do that, there are two key aspects. One, go and do the literature review and do the Cochrane. And two, find the largest database you can possibly get your hands on and analyze it. And that latter database was the US Veterans Database uh, that we accessed through collaborations at an international level. And in that database, um, we show or we demonstrated association between anemia and immediate and long-term outcomes following surgery. So the question was, if you've got a third of people anemic prior to surgery, is the reason they're anemic iron deficiency, and that can be absolute or functional, and will a single slug of intravenous iron at a treatment dose correct that anemia? And then is that risk associated with anemia and adverse outcomes, is that risk also corrected? I.e. do patients feel better and consequently do better after surgery? Um, and so that's the trial we set up and um, named PREVENT that was running over the last few years. And, and Prof Richards, can you tell us briefly what, what you found in PREVENT? So we randomized 487 people in a variety of centers throughout the United Kingdom. All of them were anemic. And we, in the setting of a clinical trial, you have the balance between hardcore academia and what you can actually do on the ground. Now, it's hard enough getting a surgeon or an anesthetist to see a patient three weeks prior to surgery and do the blood tests and actually action on those blood tests. So at the time that the trial was running, was routine ferritin testing done? No, absolutely no one was doing it. And even today, do you get routine ferritin tests on all people undergoing surgery? The answer is no. The second question is, what does that mean? Because these people have chronic disease, which could be a functional iron deficiency, an iron deficiency of inflammation, an iron deficiency of chronic disease. We don't truly understand that. So the inclusion criteria was anemia, and people were randomized in a double-blind manner uh, to intravenous iron or placebo. 
uh, an average of two weeks prior to surgery. What we showed was that the intravenous iron did correct or improve the hemoglobin compared to control, but not quite as much as we thought it was going to. And at operation, we, managed, we measured whether or not people had a blood transfusion, and that was whether or not it was one or two units. And the reason behind that was because, you know, as you walk around the ward or the junior doctors walk around the ward, they make a clinical decision to do a blood transfusion, whether or not that's one unit, whether or not that's two units. And you can argue the pros and cons of that, but the, the, it's, a, it's a decision to transfuse. Yes. Um, and we showed absolutely no difference whatsoever in the transfusion rates between the two groups, which was a complete surprise. In terms of patients we know with anemia have worse outcomes after surgery, I think that's quite well established. Mm. And that correcting the hemoglobin didn't necessarily improve their outcomes. Does this then imply that anemia itself isn't a modifiable risk factor and just simply a marker of perioperative risk or other disease processes underlying that, that risk? I think you could interpret that prevent would support that hypothesis, yes. Okay. Um, and, and that, as you've hit the nail on the head, is the objective of prevent was to address that association and is a really, really good example of how association is not causality. Mm. So correcting a number does not correct the outcome of a patient. With regards to the, the, the patient population you selected, you, you, you chose open abdominal surgery, major open abdominal surgery, which um, I understand was picked because they obviously they're at higher risk of uh, requiring transfusion. And so there was a more uh, chance or increased risk or chance for the event rate would be higher. Um, and indeed, it looks like your event rate of transfusion was quite high, approximately 30% in each arm of the trial, um, which does seem quite high. Um, there was no reported intraoperative blood loss uh, in either of the two groups. And, and it, was there a reason you didn't do that? And, and are we sure there wasn't a difference between the two groups of intraoperative blood loss? Now, did we measure intraoperative blood loss? No, we did not. And there are various reasons for that. One, it's a hopeless measurement. I'm not sure if you're aware that surgeons may occasionally fib about how much blood they're losing at operation. <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, also, if you're doing an opera, a, a, a clinical trial where the endpoint is transfusion, the key is to be as blinded as possible and not to raise a anesthetist is standing at one end of the patient going, this patient's in a trial about blood transfusion. Be really careful. Make sure that you don't lose any red cells. Don't let the registrar operate. And I'm not transfusing this end you're going to skew and you're going to bias the reporting of the results from normal practice. Yeah, so yeah. When you look at the protocol, you've kind of got to remove anything that you might see as a, an influencer in any way to standard care, which will detract from the blinding of the intervention in that regard. And I think that's, those were the two reasons we didn't look at it. Um, we've also, in the background to this, we, there were multiple pilot studies. And I, to, the, to the viewers here, I think, in my opinion, there a good quality audit is much better than bad quality research. And the background to prevent was around about seven pilot studies that I did over a 
two to four years. Yeah. And so we actually documented interoperative blood transfusion. Uh, we tried to correlate that uh, perceived blood loss, mm-hmm. sucker or swabs or whatever, with change in hemoglobin. Yeah, we didn't see anything at all. Right. Uh, yeah, we did, just didn't see it. Probably the most important thing when people are looking at trying to tease out the data to what they want to gain from the trial is that if you've got a well-blinded trial, and this was well-blinded, we gave the intravenous iron with a completely separate group of people, had those um, opaque bags that you put over TPN so you couldn't see anything, Um, and we actually asked the patients what they thought they got. So we're very happy that the patients and the staff were completely blinded. And the second key point of a trial is if it's randomized, all these variables, transfusion rate, interoperative blood loss, uh, whether or not they got one unit versus two unit, those will be balanced between the two groups. And so randomization really does overcome a lot of these preconceptions. Yeah. And uh, did you mandate a transfusion trigger in the trial? With regards to transfusion rates, Rather than monitoring the hemoglobin of every single blood transfusion, we audited each hospital before they were enrolled into the trial. And we confirmed that all the investigators had agreed to the NHS blood and transplant uh, transfusion guidelines, which are don't transfuse unless the hemoglobin is less than 80, um, because most of these people have got coexisting cardiac disease. And so 80 was essentially our trigger index for transfusion. Uh, the context section of the paper that was published. Uh, it states that the evidence base now suggests that current guideline or guidance on preoperative iron therapy should be revised to now state that preoperative iron therapy is not recommended in major elective surgery in patients with anemia. Uh, do you think this can be generalized to other surgical settings such as cardiac surgery? Um, and I guess further to that, do you think that this can be applied to, I guess, patients with um, iron deficiency as defined by the, I guess, the consensus guidelines that you've been involved in publishing? So the results prevent, I can assure you, no one was more surprised than I was. Um, essentially, I built my entire career um, suggesting that anemia prior to surgery is a bad thing, uh, that the causality is iron deficiency and that intravenous iron is a really good uh, solution to it. Uh, I've been involved in many guidelines to that effect. Uh, I, I got the results of PREVENT um, well ahead of everyone else, so in May last year, so almost 18 months ago. And uh, I can assure you, I've been over those data like a fine tooth comb. Mm. I've, I've overcome my depression, my alcoholism. <laughs> And one of the key things about randomized controlled trials is if you've done them correctly, you simply have to adhere to the protocol and you have to adhere to the reporting guidelines. So the international standard for reporting of randomized controlled trials is the consult statement. And if you, as we had to, we had to write those uh, results according to the consult statement. And there is no wiggle room in there. So the question is whether or not PREVENT can be transferable to other population groups. 
I think we've answered um, the issue for abdominal surgery, and that includes upper GI, lower GI, and gynecological surgery. There will be mixed modalities within that, which we can look at at a post hoc level. Um, however, I think it answers abdominal surgery. Cardiac surgery is a different beast. The, the fundamental thing about cardiac surgery is when people have huge surgery, their sternum split open and their heart replumbed, they actually feel better after the operation. So if you take someone who's sick with um, GI cancer, do a big operation on them, leave them in the hospital for a week and then kick them out of hospital, um, they don't exactly feel better afterwards. It takes them a long time to recover. And that question about recovery is, is the next question. Mm. But in cardiac surgery, the patients are sick, they have a major intervention, and they feel better after surgery. So the, the, the question that you're asking with the use of intravenous iron in the ITAX trial is a different question because it's a different population with different outcomes. The other issue is that um, iron has effect not only on cardiac muscle, but also on skeletal muscle. And in the setting of cardiac surgery, the blood transfusion rate is still remains between 40 and 60%. Um, so I do think there is still an outstanding question in cardiac surgery. And I would urge everybody who's got questions about PREVENT to enroll your patients into ITAX because unless we have the data, it's all just conjecture and some surgeon's opinion on the use of intravenous iron. Um, can I just uh, touch on it a little bit to try and how we now go forward with uh, iron transfusion? So many clinics um, pre in the preoperative setting across the world have established uh, hemoglobin optimization pathways, including iron transfusion. Um, with your knowledge uh, and, and uh, of all the literature, how do you translate it into your practice as a vascular surgeon? Um, there, there were a few, not many, uh, for example, open abdominal surgery for uh, aneurysmal surgery uh, included in the trial. If you had a patient uh, of yours uh, that was anemic preoperatively presenting for an open uh, AAA repair, uh, would you uh, not give them iron or would you still uh, give them do hematinics and then and then potentially consider iron. What, what's your approach now? Uh, look for open aneurysms. You've got to work out why they're uh, anemic. I think that's probably the key thing. And if this trial does nothing else, it actually raises the awareness of preoperative anemia and gets people to go searching for causality. Now, in many cases, you might not find it. And is would I deliberately bring someone up to hospital for intravenous iron? prior to surgery, the answer is it's got to be no now because I did the trial, so I've got to practice what I preach. Um, and no, I don't. But I do request the hematinics. I think the issue about iron deficiency is a different one because if you look at the PREVENT trial, one in three people were anemic, so that's a third. Within that, and this is unpublished data, we um, only around about one in four had a ferritin less than 30. So that's overall in the population around about 10 to 15% of the population are iron deficient. So the question is, should they be treated? Well, I, I, I flip that on its head and say, well, shouldn't you be treating all people 
with iron deficiency in the population and not just the preoperative uh, individuals. And so the question now, I would say, is a bigger one. If we look at everyone coming into hospital, a third are anemic, of which many will be iron deficient. Are we, as a hospital, as tertiary refer, uh, practice um, physicians, investigating and managing these people correctly across the board, not just in the setting of surgery? Um, so should iron deficiency be treated in the presence of anemia? Yeah, of course it should be, because the WHO guidelines state that, and it's not specific to prevent. It's a general healthcare issue that should be identified and managed Absolutely. Um, Professor Richards, one of the, um, what, one of the findings um, of, of PREVENT, um, which may have been a bit unexpected, were, were the post-operative um, benefits, and there was a reduced readmission rate. Um, I guess two, two, two questions. One, what, what you, you make of the significance of that finding, and, and secondly, whether you think that um, there might be a role for further research or perhaps a another trial looking at um, post-operative iron, which may be more um, convenient and, and resource uh, friendly to, to administer and, and easier for patients potentially as well. Yeah, look, I completely agree with you on that. Um, when you look at the data, there is definitely a reduction in readmissions to hospital. Now, there, there are two key aspects here. Most people spent a median of nine days in hospital and we measured complications by the Clevian-Dindo classification. There are a variety of classifications that you can use, but the Clevian-Dindo seems to be the most uh, useful one. And interestingly, there was no difference in that immediate post-operative period. But there wasn't a huge difference in the efficacy of the intervention at that time point either. Mm. Now, in the discharge setting, you've got a change in the efficacy of the hemoglobin. And there was a reduction in readmissions. And those readmissions thankfully, were coded in a blinded manner by two independent observers because we wanted to make sure that the, any readmission was not someone coming back to have their pick line taken out or um, some sort of essentially administrative reason. Um, so they, they were adjudicated. And the really interesting thing was, is yes, it was post-operative complications, but it was also reduced infection. And there is plausible association between the two. And yes, I do think this needs to be tested in uh, the next clinical trial, which uh, you'll be pleased to know is called post-vent. Uh, highly imaginative, <laughs> might come up with that. Um, and so we are uh, with yourselves in Melbourne uh, with a team in Austria, France, and the UK, just putting together the protocol for that trial right now. Um, now, the question, again, back with PREVENT, is should you give preoperative intravenous iron to reduce postoperative complications? You can't say that from PREVENT because that was not a predefined endpoint that was adjudicated in the setting of that protocol. So we, in PREVENT, did not control the reason why someone was admitted to hospital or define causality for readmission. So those were free text. And so you can't infer too much from that because it wasn't a controlled and um, regulated endpoint, so to speak. Clevian Dindo is incredibly precise, 
readmitted for off legs or generally not feeling great is, is not a defined diagnosis per se. Now, the other question is, can we reliably say that preoperative iron uh, reduces postoperative complications? No, we can't. So the point that you raise is entirely plausible. What if we just give the iron during the course of surgery or in the postoperative period? You know, it's really easy. We could do it, um, and it's a it, part of the hospital admission. It's an awful lot easier than bringing people up to uh, hospital uh, two weeks prior to surgery because that is really hard work. Um, so yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, I do think it does need to be tested in the trial first. Um, and so we're looking at that right now. And I guess this is moving on to opinion as well, but do you think if, if you are looking at that relationship further, do you think it may be an effect of the iron itself or a, an effect of the increased um, hemoglobin concentration itself? Um, I'll get back to you after we've just finished our next trial, uh, looking at exactly that. Um, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much indeed for taking the time to speak with us and go through what seems to have been 10 years of your hard work uh, and culminating in a fantastic paper, which really does add a great deal to the perioperative literature. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you.